Rebel Force Radio presents Star Wars Influences. You've taken your first step into a larger world. All right, welcome back. It's Star Wars Influences, Rebel Force Radio's look at everything that inspired and contributed to the vision of Star Wars, as we see it on the silver screen, along with the positive influence it has on fans worldwide. Joining me this month, and every month when we do a show, because <laughs> we don't do a show every month, but we're getting there. Uh, but we couldn't do it without this guy. He's a good friend of ours here at RFR, one of our oldest friends, if not the oldest friend we've had here. Um, noted British film veteran artist, Star Wars artist, uh, actor, um, <laughs> Well, you, you see him. Some, a stretch. You see him sometimes uh, doing stuff on uh, on screen. He's uh, Star Wars artist Paul Bateman. Hey, 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 everybody! Nice to be back. Sorry, it's not monthly. We do try. Well, you know, it's hard in the summertime too. Uh, at least it is for me. A lot of a lot of moving parts. But hey, the kids are back in school, so I'm ready to Woo-hoo. turn on the microphone and talk about Star Wars with you, Paul. Especially yes. considering there's been so many things going on here as the summer's been winding down. I thought it was going to be relatively quiet. And then a couple of weeks ago, Entertainment Weekly puts out that issue featuring uh, some new photos from the uh, set of The Last Jedi, some uh, cool uh, stills. Uh, information galore in uh, the pages without getting too spoilerific. But the one thing I wanted to ask you about before we get into all of uh, the conversation this time around Star Wars Influences is I'd just like to kick things off with picking your mind a little bit about the Porgs. Everyone's talking about the Porgs. <laughs> I think they're ace. They look, <laughs> they look great. I think I actually prefer them to the Ewoks already. This, this, I think because they're extra cute, they're small. They kind of look, look like a cross between a bird and a cat. The, you know, they've got super cute little faces, massive eyes. Yeah. The, the people, people are obviously already mad about them, and the movie's not out yet. Oh, I mean, for it, sure. It, it's it's kind of bonkers, isn't it? Now you, you compare them immediately to the Ewoks. Uh, my question for you is this, sir: uh, the Ewoks were able to uh, carry. Uh, not only their their presence, their own presence in Return of the Jedi, but they were able to carry an animated series and two made-for-TV movies. Do you think the Porgs could possibly have that sort of ability? Uh, well, I, I don't think so. Did you see, did you see the recording of the toy? There's, I did. There's, there's a recording out there of of uh, of what the thing sounds like, and it's basically kind of. Just a squawk. <laughs> here, as a matter of fact, so they, I ha- I actually do have the audio track here handy yeah. with me. So stand oh, cool. by just one second. Um, I should have known you were going to bring this up. But uh, <laughs> here it is. Yeah, somebody uh, had picked up one of the Porg toys that you can find uh, on the shelves uh, next week, starting with Force Friday. That's next week already, isn't it? My God. Crazy. It's come around like a show, isn't it? Here is what... A porg sounds like at least the toy version of it. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> it works for me. I, I, it, it, what it reminds me of is we used to have this show over here um, called The Goodies, Jimmy. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was it was basically kind of a seventies version of like a kid version of Monty Python. 
So very very silly, a bit surreal, and and just very off the wall. And and uh, they had an episode that was about the extinct extinction of the dodo, mm-hmm. and they find out they find this this last remaining dodo and uh, discover that <laughs> across the across the episode that the reason why it's extinct is it's the most annoying bird that ever lived, <laughs> and it's got this awful noise that it makes, and it it's got really bad flatulence, and basically by the end of it, you know, at the start of the show they're they're all about protecting the thing, and by the end of it they just can't wait to dice it you know <laughs> and i think i think that they're going to probably use the noise of these porgs for comic effect because it, it it already sounds funny with just one of them but i can imagine like a hundred the hundred of them aboard the falcon or something would just be a nightmare oh my god so yeah yeah <laughs> you know jumping all over r2 and getting in chewbacca's face and everything i think it'll be hysterical i'm sure i've got a feeling that they're going to be a very necessary component in uh in The Last Jedi, I have a feeling that, that tonally, that there's bound to be a lot of darkness in The Last Jedi, what with Luke kind of finding his way back onto onto the path and uh, Rey, you know, just starting off on her journey and all the all the emotional stuff that's going to come just because Han was killed and, and the whole kind of Kylo situation. It's going to be really grim in a lot of places. And I think, you know, the poor are probably going to be very much needed a light relief. Oh, but, for um, sure. Yeah. Definitely. I see, you know, it's going to lend itself to a lot of funny moments. Like, yeah. like for for example, the shot of Chewbacca in the uh, sizzle reel that mm. was uh, that came out over the summer at D23. The sizzle reel shows Chewie and he has a feather by his mouth <laughs> as if he yeah. ate the pork. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be like Tweety and Sylvester. <laughs> oh, chewy. And then he'll open up his mouth and take the porg out and the porg yeah. will be, you know, dripping with spit. Porg. Yeah, it's gonna be like the family dog is gonna put the cat down. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, well good. So you're on board with porgs. You're on Tell, porgs. Totally on board. I, I love that shot of the there's one shot of Chewbacca in the cockpit and there's a porg on the dash kind of staring really closely at the camera. Right. And it, it looks it looks real funny. I'm sure that's gonna be a gag. It just has that feel about it, doesn't it? You know. But I wonder if if their presence is going to be something beyond comic relief, to where the point of maybe they 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 actually come together to somehow protect Luke and Ray and Chewie and R two. Yeah. I don't know. You would think that they wouldn't be too threat. I mean, maybe they are going to go the Yoda route and surprises that these things have a power or they have. I mean, that would be a good explanation for why they're there in the first place. You would think that maybe there's a reason why a little kind of creature like this would be drawn to that island if it if it's particularly kind of strong in the force or something. Right. See, now you you're can. thinking. And then also, because we've heard there's going to be so many of them, yeah. maybe, maybe not individually they can pose a threat, but maybe a large group of them, a giant flock of them mm-hmm. could, could yeah. do something. So... You know, Maybe they're going to take out Snoke. Wouldn't that be a turn up? The porgs, <laughs> oh, they eat Snoke. They eat him. <laughs> they, could, they could be like those little evil things in uh, Galaxy Quest. Do you remember that? When they're like, oh, and they cute. And then they smile and they've got loads of teeth. Do you remember that? <laughs> they're like, ah. Yes, yes. You know, like, <laughs> yes, absolutely. They could be like, like gremlins or something. Yeah, they're fine as long as you don't, you know. Take them away from the island, and then they're trouble. You know, I got to go back and watch Galaxy Quest. It, it seems like Seth MacFarlane has got his own Galaxy Quest going on. Yeah, 
here in about Orville. a month from now. Orville, yeah. So just seeing the the promos for that made me say, boy, I, I really need to go back and revisit Galaxy Quest. I'm surprised they didn't take that and make that into a series. They're about to, aren't they? It's back on the table. Oh, you're it's, kidding. Uh, no, they, they, can, they were considering it a while ago before Alan Rickman died, and... When he died, they kind of just went, well, there's no way we can go there with, with no Alan. It's just not a smart idea. It's too too important. And then, you know, they just left it for a while. And I have a feeling with the return of Trek and stuff like that, it probably has had an impact on their decision. But, yeah, it's definitely definitely uh, back on. They're, they're saying that it will be with some of the crew that were in the movie, um, a few of the remaining crew. But the idea is, I think... In the Galaxy Quest universe, I don't know if you ever saw... Did you see the um, website that they put up, Jimmy, when Galaxy Quest first came out? Oh, I don't remember. They did like a fan site, and the whole idea... For any listeners who aren't familiar with Galaxy Quest, the basic idea is it's a rip-off of Star Trek in as much as... It's a a crew of a a TV show um, that suddenly kind of get beamed up by aliens who think they were a real crew, and, and hilarity ensues, you know. And the the, uh, the the new version is, is basically going to be um, the the last remaining members of the old crew are handing over the baton to the next generation crew. And then the TV show kind of jumps off, off from there. So I think it's just so they can have a handful of the people from the movie and then a bunch of new people. Well, I wonder so, who they get. I mean, Tim Allen, yeah. he's he's kind of off limits, seeing that he's currently involved yeah, in. Uh, the, oh wait, his good. series is, his series was famously pulled off of ABC, right? I think someone else picked up Last Man Standing. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Sigourney Weaver, you're not going to get her to do any TV. Well, no, she just did that. Uh, uh, what's it called? The Daredevil thing, didn't she? The um... oh, what's it called? Defenders. She just played. Oh, she just played yeah. back on eight episodes of Defenders. So I mean, it all depends on how long the show is. And but, I guess yeah. so. I guess so. I just figured she'd be all wrapped up with the uh, next twenty Avatar films that she's probably right. signed on to do. <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> but it's strange because you've got like Orville. You've got you know you've got this Galaxy Quest thing, and then you've got the reboot of Star Trek. And there's been some talk for a while that the Scultsy's, um book. You know, uh, is it Red Shirts? They're talking about developing that as a TV show too, which is very, very similar. So, oh my God! So yeah, it seems to be flavor of the month at the minute. Yes, let's prepare but, ourselves for oversaturation. But I had to admit it was really strange to look at Orville because my first, my first, you know, thought as a as a British fan was, do they know about what Orville means in the UK? Which is the most famous kind of character that we have in the UK is this. Like this, there's this um, ventriloquist light entertainer um, who had like a green fluffy bird puppet called Orville, and it was all over the TV in the 70s to the point of driving you crazy. And it was really annoying. This super cute kind of bird in in a in a nappy, yeah, very in a diaper, you know, really, really kind of irritating. <laughs> and I mentioned it to Seth MacVolan on on TV. So this is what we think of when we hear Orville in the UK. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> think of it. A, a diaper. All right. Well, hey, listen, let's get into Star Wars here, okay? Yes. Um, Sorry, folks. Well, for starters, we did get some uh, listener feedback. We got yeah. uh, um, an email here. Let, let me bring up the uh, email real quick because uh, this is something that kind of got you talking and thinking. And uh, mm. this email comes from Ty Barnes, 
who says, Greetings, Rebel Scum. Recently, I was catching up on your series and developed a fondness for your episode featuring Paul Bateman. Specifically, I took comfort in the segment centered on the new Forces of Destiny productions. In the segment, you guys spoke about the merits of different mediums and how they may expose different segments of the population to the wonder and escapism that Star Wars brings us. I just finished three years of law school, topped off with the bar exam. I was busy, and it was terrible. But through the tough times, I hit an earpiece feeding me RFR. I wanted to bring this to your attention because while I was doing something that I hated, you guys were there for me, keeping me from losing my mind, and I don't know if I could have done it without you. To tie it all back to the point of this email, it was your specific medium that allowed me to keep Star Wars in my life while I had other commitments. Both of you touched on the fact that different types of productions may provide a starting point for fandom and open the door to a much larger world. A much larger world. And Mr. Baton reaffirmed that there is merit in the psychological and emotional impact of these things. While my recent experience speaks more to Mr. Bateman's perspective, I know from experience that you were both spot on. It was nice. It was nice to hear from Ty. And it was it's always nice to hear from folks. But it's also nice to hear when you know, a show that that we do is impactful in a positive way that people have a good time because of it or it brightens somebody's day. That's always nice. And um, I remember we, we were chatting a while ago and I think Ty picked up on a conversation that I'd had with Alan Moore, the comic writer, many years ago um, about, uh, you know, how much value you should you should put on a, a piece of entertainment. And he was talking about, Alan Moore back in, back in the 80s was talking about the fact that there had been like awful pop songs that he he had listened to that had a permanent impact on him that he kind of carried with him uh, in his personality and were a part of him, um, even though they were bad. And that the good stuff can obviously be hugely impactful, like Star Wars has had a huge impact on so many people in so many different ways. And um, and it, it it's funny how just you know even a little sort of daft little podcast can can help somebody if it's it's the right show on the right day and um i i really connected to ty's email because i could kind of hear a little bit of myself in this email um jimmy that's i think was a large large part of it in that i feel that when i was in my 20s which ties in his in his late 20s um i i kind of feel as though career-wise i was still finding my way like like most people i think and um did a lot of escaping into star wars and and yeah at the same time didn't really kind of use it as an inspiration so much as i do you know, as, as an older person. And um, I don't know, I just thought it would be interesting to explore, you know, what what Star Wars can kind of do for you. I mean, it, people will knock, will always knock fans for being very passionate and very, you know, very uh, really wearing their fandom on their sleeve. Obviously not not people like us, we like it. I mean, it's nice to see people cosplaying or, or getting creative or making videos or singing songs or... However, their their fandom wants to to manifest, but uh, but Joe blogs out there will quite often kind of knock us for for being into something. And I know you've quite often likened it to sports fans, Jimmy, and said that it's not really that dissimilar to sort of sports fans. But for me, I kind of feel as though Star Wars is about so much in it. It contains so many kind of life lessons that. I feel it's been extremely useful in life. I feel as though, for me anyway, it's not just been an inspiration, but it's been almost like a signpost. Like a lot of the things that I've got into as a result of Star Wars, I never could have anticipated. The fact that I've got into the martial arts, totally down to Star Wars, 
the fact that I got seriously, seriously into movie making and the whole process behind movies and lots and lots of other films came through my love of Star Wars. The people that I know now, I mean, my partner I met because of Star Wars, you guys, you know, mm. some some of my best friends, it's all about this, this influence of Star Wars. But I think... There is a difference between <clears throat> there have been periods of my life where I kind of feel like Star Wars was a really useful way to kind of escape from uh, what felt like the inevitable grind of daily life. Um, but, you know, people can knock that. But sometimes I, I kind of think it's just what you need. You know, sometimes you just need to chill out, watch a movie and escape from the grim stuff. And uh, I, I think it's great that we have Star Wars to, 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 to use that way. But I think what's even better is when um, – Star Wars can be used as an inspiration, a starting block into a better, better way of, of kind of living, uh, you know, better circumstances, a better, um, just a better life all around. And I think that Star Wars can be hugely inspiring in that. I think when I was um, first starting out as an artist, I remember, you know, my parents would buy me like huge sheets of paper and say, like, go at it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'd be drawing all the time as a kid. But when Star Wars came around, that was all of a sudden walk back to 10, you know, I couldn't draw enough Star Wars stuff. And that, that helped me enormously, um, in, you know, creatively and all that. And I'm sure it's been the same with you, Jimmy, right? I mean, like in terms of audio and stuff, you must've been kind of pulling a bit of a Ben Burt at times, right? Well, you know, it was really George Lucas who was a big influence on me very early on. Mm. As far as the fact that I knew that Lucas didn't throw things away. I knew that whatever idea he had, he held on to it, even if he couldn't find a way to apply it. Yeah. That was an immediate influence on me when I got into radio and audio production. Mm. The fact that I would just keep things, I would store them away and save them for a time when I could just you know, spring them loose, open up the box and let them go. And that was a huge influence on me. Uh Um, I saved everything. And and to this day, I still have recordings dating back three decades because I knew, (laughs) and I'm still looking for a way to apply some of the ideas, Uh but it's always good just to to build up that uh, arsenal of ideas and never throw anything away. Mm. That was a bit like me with the Ralph art, you know. I, I when when I first got to know Ralph, a lot of that came out of I already had amassed like a huge collection of Ralph's artwork. Like everything I could get hold of, like online, was just filling up my hard drive. Uh-huh. And that was that was the initial opening shot of of Ralph and I getting to know each other was was the fact that I already had this huge love for his his stuff that that meant I was kind of going into the whole thing really super informed and and uh, equipped to kind of do the job. So I know what you mean. I mean, I, I kind of feel as though, you know, the way that uh, Star Wars can be one of those things where, I mean, I remember having a factory job in my twenties and stuff and just hating it uh-huh. so much. And, and this, this, uh, this line runner on this production line, just looking at me like, what's your problem? You know? And, uh, <laughs> it didn't like me cause I'd take the mickey out of this guy and stuff like, you know, cause <laughs> it was a nasty piece of work. And I remember just kind of smiling at him like without realizing I was doing it. And it was like, what's your problem, Bateman? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was daydreaming about being in a, in a Imperial scout walker, and basically walking through this factory and blowing the heck out of this production line. And I didn't realize, but it was kind of coming out on my face. And it was just like, uh, yeah, it makes me feel really uncomfortable. You're looking at me like you're going to blow me up. <laughs> but but Star Wars can help you get through those those like moments when you just think this is a rotten job and I'm not having a good time. And, you know, you can kind of lose yourself in that world. 
but you know, and and this 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 uh, letter that we got from Ty was was very nice, and I could kind of connect to those those days in my twenties when you know I had the occasional terrible job that I didn't like, and um, and it it would definitely be a reason to be cheerful and to help you kind of uh, keep your head straight and not get too too down about the tough days, you know, and um, but I think. The fact that Star Wars kind of opens this this door into a, a larger world, and uh, I think that people need to take it quite literally at times. I think I think people can be kind of um, people can be kind of like uh, optimistic in a way that's not very constructive. They can kind of go, my my you know my future can be anything. I can be like Luke Skywalker. I can blow up the Death Star. I can you know I can find my personal uh, Death Star and blow it up. I can I can you know that that's something I can do. Uh, but then not apply themselves. They just kind of expect it to happen, you know. Uh, but other people can kind of use it as a as a, a flag, like you know, um, that their life is one thing, but it can definitely be something else with a bit of effort. And and I I kind of felt like when I was first thinking about working in the film industry, I lived in some backwater that was miles away from the film industry. I was up in the Midlands in Nottinghamshire, and nobody I knew had anything to do with the film industry. And um, and yet here's Luke Skywalker on this dust ball. Uh, you know, it mm-hmm. uh, seems like the last person who would save the universe. And right. although it's hardly comparable for me, it was, you know, it was one of those things where you just kind of feel like, yeah, well, if Luke can get off that dirt, dirt, dirt ball and be like a star pilot and all that, why, why not? And, um, and it proved to be true. And it was one of those things that I kind of feel as though it gave me enough of an inspiration to, to try and, uh, and do something with my life. And I think that, that if there are people out there who are not happy with a lot, it's great if Star Wars can just kind of cheer you up and uh, get you through that until things improve. That's great. But if you can also use it as a, as an inspiration to to actually do something and uh, and 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 change your situation, then I think that's even better. And I think Star Wars is, although it's it's a work of fiction and obviously it's about spaceships and robots and aliens, I think it's it's very applicable to life. And there's a lot of truth in Star Wars. I think that. You know, it doesn't matter where you are, and it doesn't matter what you do. I think I think that your situation can be different, and I think you've just got to be like Luke and dare to try to change the situation. I mean, even even though it it must feel like sometimes you're going to get stuck on the farm, I think uh, I think there's no reason why you, why most people can't change their circumstances. I mean, it, I mean, you must have met people, Jimmy, who who are just stuck in that Luke Skywalker phase of, you know, my parents need me on the farm and. <clears throat> nothing's going to be any different and they just can't see past the end of their own nose. Right. Well, I, I find I mean, myself in it, you know, saying yeah. the same thing sometimes, you know, um, making excuses almost for yourself or, or yeah. using the fact that you have deep roots and a strong connection to where you are right now. You know, you, mm. it, it sometimes you lose focus. Um, but this is what we're talking about when we say, the positive influence that Star Wars has had on fans. Yeah. It's how, how do we apply it? Um, mm. it it's, it's, it's how we take it and how do we put it into our daily life? And do we let it provide positivity in our lives? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's easy to be cynical in this day and age, and we're surrounded by cynicism. Yes. And it's very common, and more and more so, I think, online. It's very... Very cynical, and if you're not careful, you can fall into that trap that Luke Skywalker does on Dagoba, where he's he just doesn't believe that his situation can be improved. The, you know, his, his his ship is stuck in the bog, and he literally is just there's no way that's ever going to get out of there. And this little green dude levitates it out of there and says, 
it doesn't it doesn't change because you don't believe. And I think that's a very real uh, ideology. Although we you know we we can't literally raise things out of the water with our minds. It's like we can definitely change stuff that feels totally unchangeable at some point in our lives. I mean, if I if I could if I could um, let sort of eleven year old me from the seventies see the life that I live now, I, I just I think my mind would be completely blown. You know, <laughs> just be like, what? How did that happen? You know, and I think a lot of it happened just from like going, do you know what? Why not just kind of embrace always as a philosophy in a way of looking at life and uh, and hope that you get something positive out of it. And I just kind of feel like year year in, year out, I get one thing after another of just, uh, you know, some some positive thing from having been a Star Wars fan. I just feel like it's such a positive influence on me. You know, and I know there's a lot of, you know, the fan talk is get a life sort of, you know, this, this whole Star Trek thing. But I think generally being a Star Wars fan is a very positive thing. I think it encourages people to be creative and there's so much involved in it just in terms of, you know, getting on with different species and, uh, (laughs) I mean, there are people who got into flying and things because of Star Wars, aren't there? And there oh are people God. who got into NASA and, you know, scientists. Well, and believe me, somebody, and... somebody is out there trying to create a real working lightsaber. So, right? you know, and, and, and hey, never say never. But uh, hey, if we can, Paul, let's talk about some of the things that would blow away uh, Kid Bateman <laughs> if he knew that this stuff was actually in the future. The first thing that I think would have just floored Kid Bateman is mm. the the idea of a standalone Obi Wan Kenobi movie. Okay? Oh, I <laughs> So that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. big news this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was revealed by the Hollywood Reporter that Lucasfilm is indeed in early stages of uh, putting together an actual uh, an actual film, standalone film about Obi Wan Kenobi. At last. At last. At last. Well, you I know, can't wait. The whole idea of standalone films never even came across my radar until, mm. and, and this goes back, this goes back to Star Wars Celebration. I want to say it was before Lucas sold Lucasfilm. Yeah. So it would have to be Star Wars Celebration 6, 5, maybe 5? Five? Uh, 5 or 6, yeah. yeah. And Kevin Smith... Did a, a, a thing there. It was an evening with Kevin Smith, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. And he starts talking about things that that were on his Star Wars li- wish list. And one thing was a standalone Boba Fett movie directed by Joe Johnston. Yeah, you know, I mean, and it, mm. it just, the idea, the concept, blew my mind. Mm. So I thought, well, wow, you know, Kevin Smith said it, you know, maybe this is going to make its way around Lucasfilm. But George Lucas owned Lucasfilm back then, and it just seemed like everything was locked down. And the future of Star Wars actually, in my opinion back then, it it was in total jeopardy. And um, so, you know, just the mere concept of it I thought was tantalizing. So now here we are, you know, here we are. Years later, Lucasfilm has been sold, uh, and we learned that uh, a Boba Fett film has been in development, and now we're hearing that a Kenobi film is being thrown around. You know, um, obviously, this this thing picked up legs when Ewan McGregor started talking about how he would like to come back and play the character again if the yeah. opportunity was there. 
Mm. And so once Ewan said it, I mean, he was answering a question. But once he said it, it sort of became a thing, you know? And understanding what the potential is of those that period in Kenobi's life, that 20-year period where he's out on the desert looking out over young Luke Skywalker and uh, dealing with Jawas and sand people and locals, <laughs> you know, just and, and the cantina and all those places, you know. You yeah. knew that that old Ben had a history there. Everyone knew who he was. That wizard's just a crazy old man. But something was going on there. I love the novel that Joe Jackson, John Jackson Miller wrote mm-hmm. a few years ago. I thought that was a, an excellent Star Wars novel, telling the story of what Ben was doing there uh, in his uh, early days out in the desert. And, uh, you know, you get cameos, you get Jabba the Hutt, you get uh, Owen Lars, uh, Baru. Um, it, it, it just is, is really a, a, a very fertile ground for creating some cool stories. And uh, so John Jackson Miller did a great job with that, right? But here we're hearing now that there actually is some uh, fire behind the smoke, and Lucasfilm is uh, working on developing a Chewbacca film, possibly with director uh, Stephen Daltrey involved. And uh, what do you think, Paul? I mean, this is this is uh, big news. Um, doesn't come as wait. much of a surprise. We had heard rumors at the beginning of the summer that. Mm. The Kenobi film was actually in development, but to get word from the Hollywood Reporter uh, that really seals the deal. Uh, so we know that something's going on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's going to please please a lot of people. It's going to please most Star Wars fans. I think, old and new. Yeah. Um, I think Ewan is is a is a great person to have as a front front person in a Star Wars movie. I think it it would be nice for Kenobi to have a little bit more uh front and center action. Not that he wasn't significant in the prequel trilogy, but um I don't know, I almost feel like he featured more in the Clone Wars. Almost felt like we kind of got more of him, you know, more I don't know, like um Star Wars it felt there were, the prequel trilogy felt like it was stretched so thin in terms of having so many characters that Kenobi, although he, he figured prominently, wasn't the, necessarily the most important character all the time. And, and it, I'm, I'm really excited about the idea of Kenobi being the focus of a movie. I think that's that's really interesting to have him as as the main thing, the big deal about a film. But um, the thing that I always find a bit confusing, Jimmy, is that, that I, don't, I don't think the clocks have ever kind of quite connected right have they in terms of you know when i know there's supposed to be kind of like a 20 year time period between sith and a new hope right Mm. is that right 20 years yeah which i think if you look at the difference between you and you and in uh, revenge of the sith and then alec guinness in episode four it kind of feels like maybe it should be longer than that but uh and then it's been how long has it been since revenge of the sith now how many years has it been like 15 years or something like that? 12 years. 12, 12 years. years. Yeah, it came out in 12 2005. Years. So I guess they're probably going to... I mean, people say like that Ewan was playing older than he was in Sith 2. Yes. So you, you could kind of say that, you know, maybe now he could kind of play the age that he was playing in Sith, even though that was older than he actually was. So you could say that this movie might take place immediately after Sith. I, don't th- I certainly don't think they're going to go earlier. I've got a feeling that they won't, you know, that that probably won't be the case. 
I'm, I'm almost certain that it's going to take place between the PT and, and the OT. Don't you think, Jimmy? I mean, it's got to, surely it's got to take place, you know, sort of at, at least a couple of years after Avenger the Sith, I would have thought. Absolutely. But but uh, I don't think they'll go too far forward because then they hit that problem of, eh, why doesn't he look more like Alec Guinness? You know, so my, my feeling is they'll leave it enough to kind of feel like there's been a gap and things could have happened after Revenge of the Sith, but without going so full, full forward, it's visually an issue. But um, but my, my thing is, you know, one of the things I that I like chatting to uh, to you guys about is, is just having your preconceptions challenged when it comes to stuff we've always assumed. I mean, like <laughs> during the OT era, we pretty much kind of got things on the nose all the time because it was pretty much panning out how we expected. But then when the prequels landed, you know, there were a lot of unexpected twists and turns that we hadn't anticipated, even though we'd been thinking about that era for, for a long time. It kind of went off in all kinds of directions we didn't expect. But now I almost feel like um, we have all these assumptions to do with to do with Obi-Wan's character. That I think most people see Obi-Wan as having dropped Luke off as a, as a, as a baby and then just hung out in the, in the desert there until he was, you know, an old fellow, a, a hermit in uh, in the original Star Wars. But I, I kind of feel like I think that maybe that's a preconception that they're going to challenge immediately. I've got a feeling that within the first five minutes, we're going to get a, a kind of a situation where perhaps because Obi-Wan is still a, a huge target. I mean, let's face it, if the Emperor is shooting down all the Jedi and he's killing them all off, um, I don't think he's going to lose sight of the fact that he doesn't have Obi-Wan's body. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have... He doesn't have Yoda, you know, so some of the main players, the Emperor's still got to have his, his sights on. So I've got a feeling that maybe it would make a lot of sense to Obi-Wan to get the heck off the planet because him being there alone is probably going to be draw more attention ah. to Luke, Luke than it would be if he if he stayed put, right? All right, how about this one I mean, for you? All right, I got a couple things I want to talk about, but I also want to talk about the age you know how Obi Wan yeah. is, but uh-huh. but before I get into that, let me throw this one at you, okay? Mm-hmm. When Vader confronts Ben on the Death Star in A New Hope, yeah, he when says you. Yeah. he says to Ben, "You should not have come back." Okay, uh, yeah. So, what does that mean? It could mean two things. You should not have uh-huh. come back and reinserted yourself into the galactic conflict as a warrior. You shouldn't have tried to mm. come back and make a difference. You know, you should have stayed put. You should have stayed hidden. Now, he could mean that, or he could be very literal, meaning you should not have come back <sighs> to the Death Star. So, s- <laughs> indicating that Ben had been on the Death Star before and perhaps escaped with his life. Maybe he was part of a rebel raid that went in there to try to to uh, destroy the Death Star while it was still under construction. And well, Vader it'll, saw him. It all looked pretty new to him when they were flying towards it. That's too big to be a space station, you know, and all that. You know, he 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 doesn't look like, oh, it's that place. You know, so I think it's, I think it's unlikely we'll go there. But I, I kind of feel as though the big question for me is more about um, – whether or not he had more to do with that Vader stroke Anakin after Revenge of the Sith or not, you know, that that's a bit of a gray area. I mean, we, I, I kind of feel like we assume they've not seen each other since, you know, Revenge of the Sith. But 
we don't know that, do we? We don't know that. We just assume it. I mean, and they, they could have had a show, another showdown where it's basically kind of like, well, okay, like get lost now. But like, if I see you again, your number's up, you know? So I, I could see, I could see Obi, Obi-Wan trying to, you know, pull Anakin back from where he's ended up. I could see him going there. Although I think it's unlikely in this movie. I don't think that's really tonally what they'll be shooting for. I think they'll be looking to do something different with it. But, but at, at the same time, I don't know. I mean, like Rogue One, I know it didn't make Force Awakens kind of money, but I think that the general positivity it got back from the fact that they were playing in the OT era, the fact that, you know, the Vader scenes went down so well, it seems to me as though um, even if the two of them don't really kind of like reconnect, it would seem to me that they should at least have a near miss, you know, like like maybe Vader gets involved in the plot somehow or... Uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, don't you think? I mean, it feels uh, like like. Here's the thing: it's the line that he d- he delivers to Tarkin. Um, uh-huh. I haven't when felt he, s- he senses Ben Kenobi on board mm-hmm. the Death Star. The first thing he says it's a it's a presence I have not felt since, and he just mm-hmm. leaves it hanging out there, and he turns around and takes off yeah. to go deal mm-hmm. with his feelings. Yeah, and then uh, when he's talking to Tarkin, he says, um, uh, "It's a presence I have not felt." Or what does he say about you know, in the presence of my old master? master. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what is that yeah. line? What is that line? It's oh, uh, that word for word. Uh, I want word from word from you, Paul, at all times. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Since he's my old master's been around, I haven't felt this. Yes, but I mean, so he's he's referring back to his his old master and stuff. So it's in terms like that, it's it it really leads you to believe that the last time they were together, it was in um, a master Padawan sort of situation. Um, obviously, uh, mm. so which takes us to Mustafar. It, 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 I don't want to see. I here. Mm. Let me let me just point something out here. By me bringing that into the conversation about perhaps Ben and Vader having some sort of showdown prior to mm. A New Hope, but after Revenge of the Sith. For me, just mm. to insert that into the conversation doesn't mean. I'd like to see it happen or I think it should happen or it makes mm-hmm. sense to me or anything like that. It's just something that I've, I've heard before. And I just wanted to yeah. get your thoughts on that. I think like, yeah, I don't know. It's tricky because if, if, if I, if I'd heard on paper, if I'd heard, Oh, Vader has an, has an apprentice and it's a young girl. I'd have gone, oh, I don't know about that. You know? And yet, I love Ahsoka and I love the Clone War series. It's wonderful. So as but as a concept, it to me it sounds kind of shaky. Mm-hmm. You know, for good reasons. You know, it's not really what we had in mind, but but they just did it with such aplomb and such talent and uh, care that it's easy to love it. And um, I kind of almost feel the same way about Rogue One in that when I first heard about that as a concept, I thought, yeah, she warned. And then watching it, it just feels so integral and such a part of the original trilogy that I can't believe I ever doubted it for a minute. So it all depends on, you know, how brilliant the script is and and uh, how talented the people are that are involved in it. And Star Wars has this great track record for making amazing things um, happen. So I don't know. I mean, 
I, I, I like, I love Vader, I love him as a character, I love Obi-Wan, I love him as a character. So the idea of the, the two of them kind of spending more time together feels like it would be fun, but at the same time, it does feel a little bit, it feels like a, what I'd call like a Revenge of the Sith stretch, where it's like, oh, so Yoda hung out with Chewbacca, and Darth Vader made 3PO, and, and that all felt so shoe-on for me in terms of making it a small universe, and it could easily go that way. But but for the fact that you think, well, Kenobi and, and Luke, uh, sorry, Kenobi and Anakin, they clearly were so tight. If you look at their relationship in the Clone Wars, you know, when when he, he uh, got the higher ga- ground and beat Anakin, was that really the end of it for 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 uh, for Ben? Do you think that he kind of thought, right, that's it now, yeah. and you know, I'll leave him there to burn, and yep. you know, I think I think he's got a. I mean, do you think like I mean, by the end of Sith, don't you think he kind of understands that the whole kind of Vader situation is on the way, and surely by by the time the Kenobi movie comes around, he must have some idea that Vader and 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 uh, Anakin are the same person, right? Right. Or or, or does he not even? Would he not even make that connection? Would he be kind of thinking, who's this Vader dude? I'm just staying away from him, but he looks like trouble, you know. Or would he be thinking, Anakin's Anakin's dead, I left him burning, you know. I mean, I'm not really sure where where Ben is in terms of his, his position with Anakin. I don't know if he thinks he's, it's game over or if somehow through the grapevine he'd know that this Vader has turned up and that it was, it was Anakin. I mean... Because it feels as though people are talking are well aware of who he is. So you would think that eventually it would get back to Ben, like, oh, this guy is Anakin. Don't you think? But I'm, I struggle with me- that. It's, it's a bit s- messy, isn't it? I, I, mean, I struggle with anyone knowing mm. that Vader is Anakin Skywalker. I really do struggle with that. Now, this right. could be all turned upside down on its head. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's it's quite possible that it's very common knowledge that mm-hmm. everyone knows. But I I I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if we we get a situation. I mean, here's here's how I think it's going to pan out. I think although I you know I love Tatooine, it's a great location for Star Wars stories. I, I adore it to pieces. I'd like to see more of it. I'd like to see more of Mos Eisley. Um, I can't really get enough of that place to be honest. Um, I I. Personally, I don't think. I think part of the whole kind of laws situation, the the homestead and all that, that 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 works is the fact that Owen's kind of a bit boring and a bit ordinary, and that's kind of why Luke is left there because he's kind of he's he's just always going to be a farmer. He's not going to be that interesting. He's just going to be a dude that that doesn't get involved in galactic conflict. So I, I don't think Owen's going to play a significant role in this movie at all. I think he's, he should stay a background character. He should stay pretty nondescript because it's the only way that that kind of makes any sense that, that, that Ben decided to leave him on this planet that should really be a bit of a red flag for Vader, you know, but obviously he's not thinking about that. If he thinks Anakin's dead, he doesn't even think that Tatooine is a risk. You know, he's probably not. You know, it's not even on his, you know, it's not even thinking that way. But I think he's going to get off planet just to save a Jedi. I think that's, that's the, you know, because clearly that's the time period that we're probably in is that Jedi are probably still getting annihilated. And, and maybe there are other, there are other Jedi characters out there that are still alive to, or, or somebody or some, something that was important to the Jedi, um, needs, needs Obi-Wan's help. And if he doesn't leave the planet to kind of go sort that out, it's uh, it's game over for somebody or something. So I think they're going to get him off world, and and eventually I think he's going to understand um, the whole situation. Because when you think about it, when he and Vader face off in the Death Star, 
they are kind of aware of who each other are. So at some point, Kenobi needs to kind of go, yeah, I know that's, I know that's Skywalker. I know it. Well, you know? Yeah. And, well, and there's no, so, listen, there's no doubt that <laughs> right. by that point. But maybe this is how we, how he finds out. Maybe this is the movie where he finds out. Oh, right. That's Anakin. Yes. You know, because we haven't had that moment yet. Have no. we? So, so hopefully we'll at least get that where he kind of joins the dots and goes, wait a minute, that, that psychotic, you know, oh, black yes. armored lunatic is Anakin. Right. <laughs> so I think that's, I wouldn't be at all surprised if we got like a movie that basically is a, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people are kind of toying with the idea that it might be a magnificent seven movie with Kenobi in it. And I think that's kind of a cool idea. I, I think, especially if he gets the right cast, but I kind of think in a way they sort of went there with Rogue One. You had that ensemble piece that right. played out a little bit like the Magnificent Seven. So I think they'll try and do something different with this one. I think they'll make a a more traditional sort of samurai film. But I think for whatever reason, I've, I've just got a feeling that they have to get off Tatooine. I don't think they can stay on one planet. That's very unusual for a Star Wars movie to just sort of be grounded in one place. I think they're bound to fly around a lot. Um, I think we're going to get at least three or four different worlds. Um, probably new stuff. Um you know, but I think a, a big chunk of it's bound to take place on Tatooine. But I think that they're, they're definitely going to get off planet. I don't think they're going to stay there. Even though I know people immediately went to, uh, oh, it's going to be like a like a Wild West thing. It's going to be a like a cowboy movie or something. But I think the, the, the that's where they're going with the Han Solo movie. So I think they'll they'll try and get away from deserts a little bit. I, I, I've just got a feeling that that you know they'll go for a more traditional kind of Kurosawa style flick with uh, Kenobi as the lead. But um, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe the thing to do is to go off and watch a bunch of samurai movies and see which one they might poach from, because mm. uh, I'm sure that'll be the main, you know, main inspiration. Got it. So, but, uh, and then we'll have maybe our Vader show up in the last reel like they did in Rogue One. You know. Wow. Well, so that's what we're looking for in a Kenobi movie. We'd like to see some uh, samurai movie uh, elements in it. We want to see him get off planet. We mm-hmm. want to see him. We want to be there with him for that mm-hmm. moment he discovers Vader is Anakin and Anakin still lives. Yeah. Because you bring up a great point, Paul, when you talk about Anakin being left with the Lars family. Mm. A lot of people say, like, well, gosh, you know, uh, Vader would maybe go back there, you know, and, mm. and, and shake things up and everything. But I mean, at this point, we're we're assuming Anakin Skywalker's dead if we get inside of Ben's head. Mm. Obi-Wan Kenobi thinks Anakin Skywalker was left for dead on the banks of Mustafar until we yeah. get until we learn otherwise. Yeah, so he's not looking for Anakin and Anakin's not looking for the kids yet, right? He has no idea there's another Skywalker yeah. out there. According to canon, he learns following the destruction of the Death Star. He, right. he he there's something that was mm. was affecting him uh as far as that the the identity of that person and uh so when he found out it was a guy named Luke Skywalker he mm. lost his he lost it you know um <laughs> that's kind of odd when you think about it isn't it like you think like they're going to go whatever you do don't call him Skywalker <laughs> right cuz that's kind of a red flag sure it's well, like of course kind of, it is. Like Lukey McVaderson or something, you know. <laughs> now, there's... there's might as well, well paint a target on the igloo, really, aren't they, you know? Well, there's a couple different <laughs> ways to look at it. 
Um, number one, why would the Empire be hunting down the offspring of Anakin Skywalker? Why would they even assume? Because Padme and Anakin kept that quiet. So you, yeah. you'd think that... And, and then Anakin, of course, saw Padme die, or he thought mm-hmm. he did, you know. Mm. Um, so why would he think that his his kids survive that he didn't know about twins he didn't know that uh padme survived lived long enough to give birth uh Mm. kenobi didn't know that anakin skywalker still existed as darth vader so giving luke the skywalker name i mean in terms of respect probably you know is why that that happened um shmi was dead Anakin was dead, assumed dead. Mm. So, you know, let Luke at least hold on to his name because he lost everything else. He doesn't have his family. He doesn't have anything. Yeah, that's a nice idea. So, you know, I mean, just out of respect, that's his name. Mm. And, you know, who's going to be looking for him, right? Um, Assuming Anakin Skywalker is dead. Or maybe it's even something that the Force tells him to do. You know, he just gets a vibe. You know, that's... You know, that that he should just let him have his name. You know, I mean, it's a big galaxy. He probably thinks that he's, he's not even going to trip over him, and why would he ever come back? He hates sand and all that, you yeah. know? Well, maybe Ben was just thinking, well, if I change his name, how are the midi-chlorians going to know who he is? <laughs> and it's like everybody always says about, like, Skywalker maybe like Smith in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I don't like that <laughs> one, just, though. I've, I think George yeah. Lucas himself had said that at one point. Yeah. Yeah, Skywalker's yeah, yeah. everywhere. No, 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 I don't want to hear that. I do not want to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> no, sir, you take that and, uh-huh. yeah, it go, goes, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Brett Skywalker and right. Ethel Skywalker and, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very similar to the excuse, well, why didn't Ben Kenobi recognize R2-D2? They're like toasters. They're everywhere. Every Skywalker has an R2. (laughs) I wonder where they're going to go with the bad guy, too, because there there is, I mean, it is a little bit of a, you know, when I looked at uh, the the follow-up to Guardians of the Galaxy, I thought they did a great job of dancing that dance of not just kind of going, well, here's the bad guy, and this is the villain of the movie, and they don't kind of reveal who the baddie really is until a large, a large way through the film without spoiling it for anybody. Um, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if they went somewhere a little bit like that with this one, where it's just kind of, who's the, who's the protagonist? Who's, who's troubled, you know? And I, I really don't know where they go. I mean, you know, how do you top like Vader and the emperor, you know? I mean, maybe the emperor would feature, I don't know. I, I can't see it. I, don't, I, I really don't know where they're going to go. I mean, it's that's the thing that's so tantalizing about this is it's almost something that we've we've thought about for years. But when you really, really look at it closely, it's like, what on earth are they going to do? How are they going to make it work? Right. You know, how, how are they going to bring in the kind of a big bad somehow that carries the same weight as a Vader yeah. or an Emperor or, a, you know? You, you can't do Dark Lord of the Week. You have to come mm. up with something different, a different sort of bring, threat. Uh, you don't think they bring Bobber into it, do you? I mean, I know we're all kind of thinking he's attached to Han Solo at the hip somehow, you know, and that, that feels like a, a more natural fit. And my, my feeling is it'll probably turn up in a Han Solo movie somehow, even if it's just as a gag. Mm-hmm. But but um, but in this, I mean, you think you think Jabba the Hawk will show up or any of those guys? What do you think? I mean, when you saw when you saw Kenobi and, you know, he was saying he'd been to, to uh, 
Moss Eisley before and, you know, the, that it's a hive of scum and villainy and all that. He's obviously kind of been there before. So that makes me feel like whenever they do a nod like that, you, you just know that mm. whoever's involved in development meetings is going to pat themselves on the back for being clever and spotting that. Like, oh, look, we could go there. Yeah. yeah. You know, so any of, the, any of those kind of flags where it's like, where he spelt, spelt out that he'd done a thing, I think we're probably going to see it. I but. was hoping to see Kenobi go to the Moss Eisley Cantina at some point during the prequels, quite honestly. Yeah. Mm. You know, I, but I mean, mm. that is such a tough act to follow. Yeah. You know, going back to the Moss Eisley Cantina after A New Hope, that's a, that's a tall Tom, order. Tom Spain would be happy. Oh, yeah, of course he would be. <laughs> He's a happy guy in general. So Yeah. But um, Tom will be uh, joining us on RFR here in the next couple of weeks. Cool. Yeah, he, he just reached re- he just reached out recently. So always good to hear from Tom. Um, so the Kenobi movie. One other thing I want to talk about are the age differences. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, Obi Wan Kenobi was about 29, 30 years old in the Phantom Menace. Right. Ten-year period goes by. Yep. Uh, between Phantom Menace and Episode Two, which puts mm-hmm. Obi Wan at about thirty-nine, forty years old. Then a couple, two, three years go by between Ep Two and Ep Three. That's when the Clone Wars happens. So during that time, we start with Revenge of the Sith, and you have an Obi Wan Kenobi who's forty-two, forty-three years old. He's in his early forties. Yeah. 20 mm-hmm. years pass. He's out in the desert. <laughs> the next time we see him, yep. he's Sir Alec Guinness, mm-hmm. and he's about 63 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the exact age Alec Guinness was when yeah. Star Wars was, was released in 1977. He mm-hmm. was 63 years old. The facial hair definitely makes him look a lot older, mm-hmm. I think. Um, mm-hmm. it, it certainly highlights uh, some of the lines in his face, like around his mouth and, and under his eyes. Um, now, compare that to Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor was born in 1971. So that means he was 28 years old when episode one came out. 28, mm-hmm. 29, right? So yeah. mm-hmm. that, that fits right in. Um, but then it's a three-year period in reality between the release of Episode 1 and Episode 2. But on screen, a decade has gone by. So they don't really try to make him look older in Episode 2 other than giving him a beard. <laughs> but by Episode 3, he's definitely... His, his, his makeup needs to make him look to be about 43 years old. Yeah. All right. So yeah. that just puts him, you know, a little bit ahead of where Ewan McGregor was by the time 2005 when uh, Ep 3 came out. Mm. Ewan was 35 years old, right? Uh, yeah. So they nudged him up about yeah. six years or something. Six yeah, years yeah, yeah. or six, Maybe. I, I think he should have been about 43 years old. Yeah, the character of Obi-Wan right. Kenobi should mm-hmm. have been 43 years old. At the end of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. So, um, so Anakin so, didn't do well, did he? <laughs> <laughs> Being in that suit was like putting him in like 
in a jar of pickle or something. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he was like beef looks, jerky by the yeah, time. Yeah, it looked, looked pretty rough by the time they popped that lid, didn't they? It was like, <laughs> like oh dear, oh. a bit whiffy. But yeah, imagine what it smelled like. <laughs> oh, dude, mm. dude. <laughs> Very moldy. Um, but uh, so you know. The- yeah, I think you're probably right. I think that's probably about the right the right age, you know. And I, I can I can totally see him doing a Dashira Mishuni, uh Kurosawa number on this. I think playing playing the the kind of hard, quiet wanderer, you know, like something that was Atoichi or something, just a mysterious lone swordsman wandering in the into town. I've got a feeling that's where they're going to have to go. They're totally going to do a do a Kurosawa number. I've got a feeling that the solo movie is going to have a lot of the, um, the you know, the spaghetti western type vibe to it. And I've got a feeling that this one will definitely have a, a, f- a feeling of the the uh, Jedaguki movies. I think it's definitely going to have that feel of kind of you know Japanese cinema. But uh, I'm just trying to think what you know where they'll go with it and who they'll bring into it. I feel like Star Wars always wants to bring in more characters that we're familiar with. Even in Rogue One, where the entire cast is new, mm-hmm. you know they couldn't resist kind of pulling in Vader and Tarkin and uh, even a few people from the from the Cantina. But uh, and with this one, I think that there's no way we're just going to get Kenobi. I think we'll get we'll get more than that. Yes. And uh, I'm also wondering. Are we going to get some Force Ghosts? Are we going to get? Are we going to get Qui Gon? Are we going to get? You know, are we going to have a moment with Yoda? I mean, he knows somehow. He knows where Yoda is. You know, as a Force Spirit, he knows to to sort of send you Luke to go see him and stuff. So, well, keep in maybe, mind, Yoda. Maybe... Yoda mentions to to the spirit of Obi Wan in mm. The Empire Strikes Back. He says, "Long yeah. have I watched this one." Well, how the yeah. hell is Yoda able to do that when he's on Dagobah <laughs> and Luke is on Tatooine? Binoculars, dude. He's yeah. got amazing. He's got amazing <laughs> macro binoculars. I, I just think Yoda's connection to the Force is so great that he can see. Uh-huh. what people are doing on other planets and stuff. But a it's guy like not... Obi-Wan Kenobi needs to be uh-huh. there to provide muscle when necessary. Yeah. And I don't think that Obi-Wan has that power to be able to really communicate with others across vast dif- distances of time and space like yeah. Yoda does. Because Yoda's mm-hmm. the only one who gets connected by uh, four spirits in the prequels. Mm-hmm. He's the only one. He hears the voice of Qui-Gon. And uh, he he he's able to train Ben on how to communicate with Qui Gon's spirit, but mm-hmm. I don't think Ben could just sit down and meditate and find Yoda and start talking to him. I think it 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 works the other way around, because we mm-hmm. saw Yoda pulling off uh, something similar in Star Wars Rebels when he was able to communicate with Kanan. Yeah. So we mm-hmm. know Yoda has these abilities, but I don't think that that's commonplace. I don't think Obi-Wan Kenobi can reach out to someone like Kanan, you know? I, I think Yoda has got a much more advanced grasp on how to use the Force. And mm-hmm. that's why he was able to be the first to communicate with Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I kind of feel as though that's got a factor into it somewhere, and it, it almost... It almost works like a lot of these samurai. You know, a lot of the samurai films are about, um, you know, a, a ronin that loses his master and has to sort of revenge his master's death and things like that. They're very, a bit of a cliche that kind of carried over into westerns and things like that. Um, and obviously that's not where, where they can go with the whole kind of Yoda-Obi-Wan relationship, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if 
if uh, Yoda somehow reaches out to Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan feels the pull and, and, and is drawn out into the universe just because Yoda thinks it's a good idea. You know, that feels like somewhere where they might go. And it also feels like a way of bringing another important character back into the fold. And um, I mean, it's obvious like, cause because Yoda went straight to Dagobah at the end of Revenge of the Sith, you almost feel like you've got his picture. You've, you know, you've, you've, you've figured out, you know, you've seen everything you need to know about, about um, Yoda. We know his end game, but, and I don't, I don't think Yoda for a minute is going to leave Dagobah. I think he's, that's it now. He's, he's, he's there. Yes, but, but I uh, agree. It, it wouldn't surprise me if, if um, you know, Obi Wan kind of went up to the mountaintop, as it, as it, uh-huh. as the saying goes, you know, and went like, okay, do you know what? I've got to go see Yoda because of something that's that's um, that's a bee in his bonnet. You know, I could I could see maybe maybe he's haunted by dreams, maybe he's getting some kind of a vision, or uh, you know, the, I have a feeling that it's going to be something like that that yes. sets this quest quest in motion, and he has to go sort of see Yoda but I've got I've just got a feeling that we're going to see Yoda in this movie unless I've got all the plans for him but um it just feels like too good an opportunity to miss and I, I don't really think there are that many other characters that we can revisit really are there mm. I mean uh, I mean certainly among the good guys I mean most have been wiped out haven't they well, so I don't you know do you do have you do have um Owen and Baru mm. and you could get the same actors from the prequels to play them yeah I think I think there'll be there'll be you know, there'll be quiet characters that don't don't do a lot. I've just got a feeling if if they're in it at all, it'll just be like you know, a sentence or two. <clears throat> you know, well, I think they have to they have to remain mundane for it to sort of make sense for Luke to be there. You know. Well, yeah, they certainly were mundane in the prequels mm. uh, with a line or two. Are um, there any other Jedi out there, or like after Sith, that you kind of think, hang on a minute, we don't know what happened to them. I mean, there's. I guess there's Macy fell out the window, but. Uh, well, yeah, obviously. I mean, mm. you'd think, but I mean that that seems like territory that they're dipping into with Star Wars Rebels. Yeah. You know. What if Mace? What if Mace showed up, all missing and all scored? That'd be a weird one, wouldn't it? That would be a weird one. That would be a weird one. Uh. I almost welcome it. But at the other time, mm. I am so apprehensive about them actually going there. It just seems I, a little overkill to me. Yeah, I've got a feeling that they're not going to go there because I, th- I think Samuel Jackson has been kind of raining on stars a little bit just lately, hasn't he? So I'm not really sure he's, you know, he's been uh, criticizing the new movies a bit, I think. Has so, he? Has he been? Yeah, just a little bit. You know, I don't think he sees it as being, you know, as authentic as the stuff he did, I think. You know, oh, I have not. I've not heard any indication of, of Sam Jackson. Yeah, Breaking Bad on Star Wars. Yeah, not nothing serious. Just a little bit. You know, I think he just thinks there's George's Star Wars and there's the new Star Wars. He's very much got that that you know attitude about him at the moment. So, yeah, well, but maybe it's something they can ignore. You know, maybe that's not a big deal. But I don't know. I can't think of any other Jedi that are significant enough that. You, I mean, maybe there, maybe there's somebody out there kind of screaming the red off, kind of going, "What? What about like Yarl Poof?" For yeah, Yarl Poof. Whatever happened to Yarl Poof? What happened to the guy that went out for the pizza? What? We need know? to know. <laughs> we need to know. Well, okay, so that's the Kenobi movie. Looking forward mm. to it. Um, you know, uh, there has been some merchandise featuring uh, kind of like desert nomad mashups of uh, Sir Alec Guinness with Ewan McGregor. I know yeah. uh I, I know uh Sideshow 
put out uh, a Ben Kenobi mythos statue. They've got another one coming, haven't they? A figure coming that's same same kind of. It's the it's the mythos mm-hmm. sculpt, but in a different position or different pose or posable or whatever. So fandom is being tenderized and uh, yeah. prepared for this idea. <laughs> tenderized this concept. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we'll yeah. Go, no, we're just a slab of meat they put up on the butcher block, and they just start <laughs> clubbing away at us. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's the groundwork is there, the potential <laughs> is there, the talent is there. So mm-hmm. I think we will be seeing an Obi-Wan Kenobi film. And that will be announced for the uh, the second uh, tier of Star Wars standalone films that will be announced, I think, relatively soon. We've heard about a job at mm. the Hut standalone film. Of course, That's the, a weird one, isn't it? I can't see that. Yeah, I, I, I think perhaps Surely. some information might be getting a little bit confused. Mm. Like, like Boba Fett may turn up in the Han Solo film. Mm-hmm. Job of the Hut may turn up in the yeah. Han Solo film. So with, yeah. with these different elements being explored, maybe there are some who've who've been leaked info and they're jumping to conclusions, mm-hmm. thinking that they're three yeah. separate projects when they're all part of the same project. It's hard to imagine like <laughs> I was just sort of thinking about the fact that what they seem to be trying to do is 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 almost take the movies out into different genres a little bit, you know, in that you've got the Han Solo movie that's a bit of a Western stroke comedy. Right. And you've got a Kenobi movie that's probably going to be quite a samurai, you know, samurai Star Wars. And, and it just makes me wonder what other things are out there. And I was thinking about the sort of like 70s sport flicks, like, you know, things about BMX races and skateboarders and stuff like that. And maybe we're going to get a Jabba movie about him being a, being a skate dude. Yeah, or a break dancer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. You know, I, I the think, electric hut. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Lots of jewelry. Uh, <laughs> we're going into some <laughs> weird territory here, but, uh, so, okay. Kenobi movie, looking forward to that, <laughs> which, uh, I think will happen, uh, uh, sooner than later. Um, also, the solo movie is happening. There's been some leaked uh, footage online suggesting the the movie is going to be called Han Solo: A Star Wars Story. Yeah, but didn't they say that that's the last time they're going to have like a Star Wars story? Is the moniker after Rogue One? They said that would be that would be it. Well, I don't so think I'd there be... was ever any sort of comment being made on the record. Really? Uh, yes, yes. I think we oh, okay. may have heard some some rumblings behind the scenes, or or just rumors, or what have you. But um, right, right. I I wouldn't be surprised if they drop that all together. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was kind of clunky sounding. A Star yeah. Wars story, Rogue One. A Star Wars mm-hmm. story. Just call it Star Wars Rogue One. Star Wars uh-huh. on Solo. You know, I mean. I appreciate the fact that they're trying to be creative with the way they they uh, identify the different sort of films, especially the ones outside you, of the trilogies. But can you imagine if they announce the name later in the year and it's Han Solo at Star's End? <laughs> People just lose it, wouldn't they? Yeah. Can you imagine? It's like, yeah, we just adapted the Daily Novel. Deal with it. We're like, what? Or they call it no um, way. Or I, like Han Solo's Revenge, or you know. Well, I know a couple people in specifically who would freak out if they named it uh, Han Solo Smuggler's Revenge. I, I think uh, Smuggler's <laughs> Bounty, Smuggler's Gambit. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I know a couple people who freak out over that. Uh, but, uh, it's it, they certainly can do that. They That's something yeah. that they can certainly do. So It's got to be. Those names have got to be in the ballpark, haven't they? I'm sure they're going to do something like that. I think they should just call it 
scruffy nerf herder and just be done with it. <laughs> so, okay, well, the solo movie, we did get some behind-the-scenes shots recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering whether or not it might be Raxus Prime. Do you remember that? It showed up in a bunch of bunch of games. It was Junk like, Planet, Junk Planet. Yeah, yeah, like really orange and rusty and scrap everywhere yes. and stuff like that. Because, yeah. you know, the story group are kind of in, you know, they're knee-deep in all this stuff. They know about all these things like we do, you know, and, um, you know, maybe it would be, you know, like kind of uh, Jakku times 10, you know, more junk, more stuff. Because the things that we've seen, you know, some of the leaked pictures and stuff are clearly, you know, rusty um, kind of pipes and things like that. So it kind of feels like somewhere kind of scruffy. But um, I'm also wondering whether it might be a version of Hut, you know, because uh, with it being a Han Solo movie, why not Why not go to Hut? That would make sense, right? Nal Hutta. Nal Hutta, yeah. Nal Hutta. Mm-hmm. Or uh, mm-hmm. perhaps a Narshada. Uh, yeah. Who, who mm-hmm. I mean, those are kind of cool environments for the video games. And uh-huh. same with Rax's Prime. Now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Rax's Prime originally introduced in the first Force Unleashed game? I think so, yeah. I think so. But, uh, oh, no, was it earlier? Wasn't it in Shadows of the Empire? Uh, it could have been. It could have I've been. Got, I've got a feeling, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's been a while since I looked at those. Now it's all uh, now it's all legends. Yeah, you know, you, you let it go, go a little bit, don't you? But um, I think it would be it would be great. I mean, I always like the idea of not Norshador as kind of Coruscant that's let the rot set in. You know, where it's kind of really seedy and like the seedy, seedy underbelly basically took over everything. You know, so I like I like that idea of a kind of like a, a smuggler's version of Coruscant. I think that's a kind of a cool idea. And I don't think they've ever really kind of done Corellia justice in my mind. I think like all the different versions of Corellia that we've seen, both in comics and and in games and stuff, it's never never quite felt right. You know, it's it's I don't know. I find I've had a hard time putting different versions of that planet together with Han Solo. You know, you almost feel like it's got to be somewhere a bit more uh, a bit wilder, a little bit. Uh, a little bit more rough around the edges than it's generally kind of portrayed. You just assume the planet's got to be like Han, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think we're going to get Corellia, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if we went to Nal Hutter. I think that would be, that'd be a smart move. And I think we're bound to get Huts in this movie, don't you? Huts, yeah. What about Greedo? You think we'll see the yeah. return of the the, uh-huh. the Rodian? Well, uh, if he's hanging out with, I mean, he's if he, if 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 we get Jabber, I think yeah, definitely we'll get him, won't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, we're bound to get a gag if one of these days I'm going to shoot you or whatever, you know? There's got to be a shoot, who shoots first gag somewhere, isn't there? Bound to be. Oh, God, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I mean, I, I, I could roll with that kind of joke, but I'm mm-hmm. so tired of the uh, it's a trap joke. So I, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, let's please retire it's a trap. Well, oh, I've got man. I've got a bad feeling about this, you know. <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, yeah, that's, a, that's a classic. That's Come on. Yeah. You can't they, go they wrong with it, that one. They used it well in Force Awakens, didn't they? But, but uh, yeah, they can they can go wrong. I noticed that um, – uh, did you see Ryan Johnson posted a, a, a still today from uh, Episode uh, 8 with a big explosion? looked like a seriously huge explosion. No, I didn't see it's this. Like a, it's like it's, it's kind of like, well, I know there's a big boom in The Force Awakens and we see, you know, Daisy and John kind of running away from explosion. But check this out. You know, it's one of the, one of those where it's like, yeah, looks like you've topped the big bang, you know. So I think uh, we might be seeing ever, ever increasing explosions in the in the chapter movies. Interesting. Sort of feeling. Yeah. yeah you know, I haven't seen uh, 
I haven't seen uh, that f- that footage. But you say Ryan Johnson just released it. That's and it, it's it's yeah, not Twitter. Ron Howard because Ron Howard has been releasing no, Ryan, a lot of yeah. yeah yeah yeah. I mean he's shooting right now. Uh, as mm-hmm. far as I know, Ryan Johnson has uh, taken up residence at Skywalker Ranch to work yeah. on the audio mix with the uh, guys at Sky Sound. Yeah, I think it was from the cut. I think it was something he you know he did in the cut. So. You know, I think it was it, it was like a snapshot of a, of him, at like an edit suite or something like that, with a huge explosion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I also <laughs> saw a, a picture Ron Howard posted up of a uh, a domeless R two unit on fire, <laughs> and oh, it I'm... actually had a grill on it. I don't know if the grill is there just to keep the flames uh-huh. in check, or if it's actually. Uh, we're going to be going to a Star Wars barbecue, but it's something that I think should be uh, the mar- the merchandising department uh, should be jumping all over that one. Um, you know what pains me about that, Jimmy? You know what really pains me about that image every time I see it right. is, is uh, like that idea showed up as well in 1313 in the concept art where you have like a like an R2 that's basically just been used as a as a as a dustbin, you know, <laughs> full of fire for a bunch of vagrants or whatever on uh, wow. in, in the Coruscant underworld. Yes. But then before that, like years before that, you know, like, you know, our, our Kyle and FJ and me will play around with stuff. You know, I was working on a strip with those boys a long time ago. And one of the first yeah. images that I sent over to those guys was an R2 unit being used that way. So it's like, I had that idea like 10 years ago. Oh my God. <laughs> but like nobody knows because we never get this stuff out, you know, it's like, yeah, frustrating. But it's a cool idea. It's a cool idea, and eventually it's going to surface. That's the thing, you know. Oh, I can't so. believe uh, you're you're reminding me of that. I I have uh, way back. Remember? I th- I, gosh, I think I I saw that artwork, and so I just punched mm-hmm. in uh, a search in my email. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to see if it's here somewhere. Oh, it's buried somewhere. It's, it's got to be. Oh man. So yeah, but I, like I said, that could be a great uh, merchandising opportunity. Yeah, well, I could live with that. I'd, I'd like a burnt up R2 unit in the backyard. That'd be I, great. I'm not sure. I think you feel about that, though. I can't wait but, to yeah. see uh, the uh, the post on Jedi News where it's like uh, new <laughs> Star Wars licensee Weber Grills. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes, they got the and oh, there's there's a gas and charcoal option. Perfect. <laughs> But I don't think that that's that's supposed to be like that because what it looks like is um, remember the beginning of Rocky when Rocky's uh-huh. walking through the streets of Philadelphia <laughs> yeah, and they're yeah, out there yeah. singing and they have the garbage can and there's a fire in the garbage can. I you don't. Think might, you think we might see porgs in that as well? Like just like <laughs> pork kebabs, pork kebabs for yeah. all my friends. But yeah. uh, I don't think that that's what it's going to be like on the film. I think we're looking at like an environment that was recently like bombed out or something like that. And we're, yeah, we're coming, ac- yeah, we're coming across the, the destruction left in the wake of some battle, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to the uh, garbage can from Rocky that's just sitting there on fire. <laughs> Everyone's warming their hands up. You know, they have the fingerless yeah. gloves on and they're warming their hands up while they're singing. Do, 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 do. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be sort of heavy on the bounty hunter department. I think, you know, yes. you can tell from the, did you hear about Michael Williams has been caught? I did. I did. He uh, apparently uh, he's um, he, he, he was make the playing, pickups, right? He, he, well, he couldn't be there. Yeah. For reshoots mm. because he has all these commitments that are going to keep him busy until November. So that mm. just 
shows you that the studio is committed to oh, yeah. plowing forward on this thing and getting it in theaters at the end of May. I don't mm. think that there's any doubt. They're, I don't think they're going to push it back. And um, as a result, uh, an actor had to actually uh, sacrifice his role. And so he's yeah. Michael Kenneth Williams. Oh, he's so good, too. I loved him in The Wire. He's such an amazing actor. He, from The Wire and uh, also yeah. in uh, another oh. HBO show, uh, The Night Of. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, cast as a character who, I guess he was... Um, Part human, part alien, or part animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how it's being described here in the the article I'm Uh looking at. Uh, Who's reporting this? Uh, This Uh would be Deadline.com with the headline, Michael Kenneth Williams' role cut from Star Wars Han Solo Mm -hmm. movie amid reshoots. Uh, According to this article, uh, he was going to play half human, half animal in the film. Mm. A kick-ass character. And they were Ugh. all very proud of it, but uh, he just yeah. basically says, um, if they had to wait for him till the mm. end of November when he's actually free, he's working on a Sundance TV series called Hap and Leonard. So mm-hmm. he's going to be shooting that in Africa until the end of November, making it impossible for him to be at Pinewood to shoot anything for the Han Solo film. So they would mm. actually have to push back the release date. So this just further shows. Lucasfilm and Disney's commitment to getting that Han Solo film out there as scheduled May 2018. Paul, you, you will be here in Chicago with me and Swank to see the film <laughs> on opening day. That's that's the plan now. <laughs> that's what, the plan. As, of, as of about an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. I'll have to talk to the brains in the house, but yes, yeah, it's quite likely. Yes. And I know you will not be looking in the mirror when you have that conversation with the brains in the house. <laughs> <laughs> because I have uh, <laughs> same pecking order here in in my place. Yeah, so, um, quite but, right. But so that yeah, that sucks. He's out of the movie. Maybe we'll see him uh, on uh, deleted scenes or or what have you. Um, it's a shame they have to throw his role away. But I think there's yeah. going to be a lot of things thrown away from this. Mm. Movie. Hey, speaking. Uh, I'm sorry, Paul. Let me just get this out. Yeah, Speaking yeah. of which, um, a lot of people are saying, well, gosh, we haven't seen a trailer, a full trailer for The Last Jedi. And mm-hmm. here we are, you know, a mere four months away from its release, oh, less than I four know. months away. And we haven't seen a full trailer. At this time last year, we had already seen the first full trailer for Rogue One, mm-hmm. which was, uh, remember, it was attached to a... Um, I think it was a, oh, it was the Olympics. It was the Olympics. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, so that, uh, that date had had come and gone. I think it was August 12th was when they uh, debuted on that Thursday night during the Olympics. So we haven't seen a trailer yet. And I mean, I have a very rational explanation for why that is. Look at that trailer we saw this time last year for Rogue One and tell me what percentage of that trailer actually ended up in the final film. Yeah. <laughs> I think they want to get the Good film. Point. They want to get it a little bit more locked down. Yeah, it so, makes sense, doesn't it? Yes. Makes sense. Yes. I mean, it's going to get confusing fast if if they if they take the wrong direction with this one. Well, if, they yeah. keep, if they keep doing this kind of stuff. Remember uh <laughs> with The Force Awakens, there was mm. there was a lot of footage that w- were in those trailers that didn't make the final film. And mm-hmm. what was even more interesting is a lot of people are looking at that teaser trailer for The Last Jedi and talking about that mm-hmm. line of Luke Skywalker's. Yeah, I know the Jedi must come to an end. Yeah, yeah. Whatever he says, I'm paraphrasing. But uh-huh. 
And they're, they're like, oh, my God, that means so much. Uh-huh. Keep but in mind. We don't know it's in the movie yet, right? There was dialogue in mm. the first trailer, full trailer for The Force Awakens. Mm. Remember the one that was the big whoop-de-doo we made about mm-hmm. it at Star Wars yeah. Celebration? Mm-hmm. Luke has a line in that. The Force is strong in my family. I have it. My sister has it. You have that power, too. You and. Uh-huh. and that line had nothing to do with The Force Awakens. It's yeah. in, I know it was from Return of the Jedi, and it was edited and inserted into that trailer. So I mean, you Even could, so, it felt like it should do. It, 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 it felt like it should have had some significance in the final film, and it had none. Mm. It had none. I mean, we don't even hear Luke Skywalker talk. <laughs> Okay, there's no indication as to, you know, who has that power to, none of mm-hmm. that. It was all just a big tease. You know what's what's weird about this too, Jimmy, is that if you, if you think back to the 70s, we had a hard enough time before, v- oh, I sound like such an oldie, but deal with it. But, but, yeah. like, but like, we, we had such a hard time just with things like comic books kind of go, you know, people think that they remember Vader levitating a cup when he's in the Death Star or whatever, and it's just it's in shaking sketches for the the Death Star kind of boardroom for the for the original Star Wars adaptation, right. or they think they remember Jabba as being this kind of green skinned walrus dude that you know right. came, came up to Han and that's just in the comics. Or of course, and, you can't and, forget Biggs. Yeah, right. Exactly. All these different kind of cutscenes. A lot of it we only heard about or we read kind of adaptions of or we read a couple line. But it, because we saw pictures, that was enough for it to look in as part of the movie. And I know that we all have these kind of false memories of the original movie where it's like, wait a minute, was that in there or was it not? Because we, we're so immersed in it that we the line kind of blurs. I mean, what the one for me is I listen to that old NPR radio show so often. And, you know, it's like a seven hour version of the original Star Wars. That obviously, like five hours of that is not in the movie, and yet every now and again I get confused about did did Ben say that in the original movie or was that from the from the radio show? I can't right. quite recall, and uh, and that's just from the kind of you know the peripheral kind of material that came out with the film, and now it's like you know seeing these trailers. I mean, they resonate and they're so important to us, and we can watch them over and over again and all that. I feel like these trailers really, really do impact on the the movie experience and certainly the aftermath. You know, I mean, like obviously we had we have these great times when we see a trailer, especially if it's a celebration or something like that. We're surrounded by all the buddies and and all that, so it's a big deal, and and that stuff kind of like imprints on your brain as a Star Wars fan. So so going into the movie, it's like even if none of that footage is in the cut, it's definitely impacting on your your experience in the cinema, I think. Or at least for me it is. I kind of feel like it carries over, you know, like my opinions of those characters or what, you know, what I assume from the trailer and stuff. It definitely kind of carries forward. So they have got to be careful, I think, to not put out a trailer that is misrepresentative of, of the movie. And with a Han Solo movie, that's got to be way tricky. I mean, now that they have all this, they have a lot of material that they're obviously going to lose. Right. I mean, how they're how they going to figure out what, what can go in the trailer and what, what can't? It's got to be a real juggling act, you know? Totally. Totally. So, uh, yeah, you know, uh, people are thinking, well, we might see a Han Solo trailer with The Last Jedi. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think so. I, I really don't. I, I think they'll want The Last Jedi to stand on its own two legs without mm. any interference from something else in the property, uh, trying to steal some of the spotlight, because it definitely would. And uh, I just don't think the film is going to be really together. Mm. Yeah. 
So it's it's yeah, it's odd. Oh, by the way, on the you know while we're you were mentioning steals and stuff like that, that picture of Kante Blight that we saw recently, there was a big H H H H D version of uh, of uh, of the the um, is it like a casino or something from the outside that we're looking at with all the all the police speeders and stuff outside. Do you know which yeah, one I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I do, and and you do see those police speeders. Mm. Um, for people who don't know about those, they're uh, they're actually going to be made into a toy that'll be available on Force Friday. Canto mm. Bright Security Speeder or something along those mm. those lines. Yeah. Um, Canto Bite. I think I said Bright. Uh, I gotta stop yeah, doing I say it. Blight. I keep. Yeah, I'm the blight. same. <laughs> Canto we'll Bright. But no, I mean it's it it is uh, really easy to do. But the uh, the speeders. Um, that are going to be found on that planet. Um, uh, they're 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 really interesting. Oh, hold on one second. I got some noise here. Okay, but uh, the speeders are really interesting. Um, they, they come they like kind of stripped down, so like a tie fighter crossed with a stab, don't they? Like a kind of a weird. Wow, what a great way to put it. Yeah, a tie fighter right. crossed with a stab. Um, kind of. They sort of uh, resemble the mini rigs. Um, mm-hmm. A little did, bit, yeah, yeah. a little bit, but I mean, very minimal as far as uh, uh-huh. you know, like an exterior on it. You're really, yeah. uh, it's just like two two clamps with a seat in the middle or something. Yeah, it's it's you're, you're sitting out in the open, so it's They're, it's more of a speeder bike, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely, like a speeder kind of, yeah, almost like something that would you'd find in a swamp or something. Mm-hmm. The the reason I mention that picture is because I remember having a chat with Ralph like an age ago about. Um, like you know about roofs and uh, architecture and stuff like that, and figuring out what what for him was kind of was um, in universe and what wasn't, and what his preferences were, and you know, and uh, one of the things that I remember kind of tripping over was just the fact that that for him one of the things that was a no no was like regular rooftops, like he would never put a design with like a regular roof, you know, like just with tiles and things like that. Canto Bite is covered in them. You know, I was looking at it kind of going, and it, but it still works, right? No problem with it. But uh, but for me, it was like, whoa, look at just like ordinary buildings. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know what I mean? It just, it, it looks like, you know, a regular town with ordinary rooftops. Now, when you say ordinary and, rooftops, what do you mean? Like something you see well, on an A-frame? I, I know, you know, yeah, Star uh, Wars, yeah. we're used to the domes. Uh-huh. We've seen a lot yeah, of domes. domes and- flat surfaces and all that. I mean, why, you know, I mean, why wouldn't they go there? And it's a mix. So, you know, um, why shouldn't this be on the table as an option? Because it's not like we don't get real domes in, in, our, in our universe. So, you know, why not? But... Um, <sighs> But it, it's it's strange. I was just looking at it kind of going, oh, yeah, look, just like a bunch of ordinary roofs. But yeah. <laughs> but I haven't got a problem with it. But I just thought, oh, well, that's interesting. Now we have ordinary buildings in Star Wars. Well, you know? Th- thanks for uh, giving me that brain worm because now Sorry, every man. time I look, I'm going to be like, ordinary <laughs> roofs, come on. You know, you, you did it. <laughs> You did the same thing to me. Oh, I'm sorry, You dude. did the same thing with me with Rogue One when look, you're like, oh, look, zippers not, and buttons on their it's jackets. It's not zipper gate. It's not roof gate, It's right? not zipper gate. <laughs> the zippers, oh, the zippers and buttons. I'm like, I don't wouldn't even think about it, but now I can't stop thinking about it. All right. What are you doing uh-huh. to me? Sorry, dude. Listen, what there's more do? to Star Wars than just Velcro. Yeah. And mm. there's more to uh, the rooftops of Star Wars than uh, what, shingles. That- you know about my nightmare that I had before Phantom Menace came out, right? Did I ever tell you about that? Where I had a, I had a nightmare about them really economising on the on the budget, <laughs> and I, I literally I had a, a I, I had a dream that was kind of like a, a nightmare that was a behind the scenes doco. Mm-hmm. That's that's how much of a nerd I am. 
And it was basically kind of like they're interviewing George and he was sitting in this chair and he was like, yeah, we kind of decided that we'd save some money this time because people just like Star Wars and, you know, yeah. they, they can kind of see past this stuff. And you realize that they're actually filming in a shopping mall and they haven't even bothered to remove any of the signs. <laughs> and there's like regular escalators and stuff. And it's like, wait, what? And then, uh, but the, Auntie Anne's pretzels, but, yeah, right. and then Macy's, and so, yeah, like post boxes, Banana Republic, like right? Uh huh. Yeah, Dorothy Perkins, all that kind of stuff. And then, and then, and then, uh, so I was already reeling with that, and kind of, you know, and freaked out by it. And then he says, <laughs> "Oh yeah," and we we figured we needed somebody special to play Anakin. We thought, like, we need somebody that's kind of familiar, but you know, not really associated with any specific character. And then, like, it turns out it's David Hasselhoff. Oh no! And waking up with such a sweat, like no. <laughs> so yeah uh, here's a, a little bit of trivia david hasselhoff is actually from the town i live in the really? chicago suburb of lagrange and he <laughs> went to the high school my boys go to so uh, his cool. his picture is up on the the wall of fame <laughs> oh cool yeah so i mean it's not like they've gone that far you know it, it, i mean I, my first thought when i looked at that was like wow it looks amazing you know, and it reminds me of Santorini, the the sort of like coastal town in Greece. So I just thought, yeah, that's a really cool look, and it feels super Star Warsy, and it and it really like it felt like one of those that the best Star Wars kind of environment designs for me are the ones where you kind of feel like you want to go exploring around them. You know, and there's there's one shot in Rogue One of um of uh, you know the, the 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 city where they're just kind of wandering around looking at all the different you know, uh, the Jedi temple and all that. And it just feels like a place you want to go explore. And Kante Bite feels like one of those places where you just look at it from afar and just think, oh, man, that's so cool. It just looks like it already tells a story just in a single image. You kind of feel yes. like, you know, that you can imagine all everybody turning up to, to gamble. And, you, you know, it's easy to kind of picture the scenes we're going to get in the movie just from that single shot. So I'm not knocking it. I just thought it was curious. It was like, oh, wow, look, you know. Wow. So there you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you with the sound, dude. You can't when you see it, when you when you hear a thing, you can't you can't shake it right. And I'm the same with the visuals. It's like, oh look, yeah. Well, no, that's that's great, and that's why I love talking to you about this stuff because you definitely do open up my eyes to a lot of different things I wouldn't have normally seen, and you give me a great perspective on it all. Now, uh, just one quick question about the Canto Bite Speeder mm -hmm. Cop. Um, yeah. Do you see any sort of uh, Ralph influence or is there anything that kind of rings a bell as far as some of his concept art goes? Yeah, aren't they like just kind of inspired by the early kind of Emperor's Guard concepts? That's what they look like, like some of the some of the earlier, you know, kind of black and white versions of uh, of the, the, the kind of royal guards. You know, they, they had some of the the sort of preliminary concepts definitely had that vibe but they've got they've got type they've got like um aura besh all over the helmets and stuff i think mm -hmm. so i think it says is it like see um is it like uh canto bite police department or something cpbd or something like oh, that police gosh. department I, you know what i've not written deciphered in, the uh Arabesh. it's know. written on the hel helmets you know i'm like yeah uh, I, you know i didn't do too well in uh Arabesh in high school i mean and i really <laughs> forgot everything i learned in all those classes let's face it so i'm having yeah, trouble I've got, I've got, uh, deciphering like, Arabesh is the easy one mate it's when you get to namoidian and uh yeah uh ewokis you can get those as fonts too you know <laughs> Didn't the uh, Naboo have something that was just basically a bunch yeah. of circles and lines? Yeah, it's nice though. It's quite pretty. It's like kind of decoy. It's, it's very very influenced by the um, the Utopia fonts. They've got a lot of fonts in that that are really similar. Kind of 
kind of uh, looked like um, they were designed by dinosaur footprints or something. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So that's cool. You know, I'm glad we, we were able to get caught up with you about uh, the latest developments happening with the Kenobi film, the Han Solo film, and got in some uh, talk about The Last Jedi there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I've got, what- I got something definitely want to talk about, Jimmy, while, uh, while I've got you. About okay. the, uh, the Sorry, Jimmy, were you about to... No, no, you, you, hey, it's your show. You do what you want to do. I'm just here to facilitate conversation with you. Well, I, I just wanted to talk about On the Front Lines, which is the, the latest book from uh, Daniel Wallace that Titan have just brought out. Uh, it's literally just kind of landed about a week ago um, because I thought it was a really interesting book, and I, th- I think a lot, of, a lot of listeners will probably get a kick out of it if they've not seen it yet. And the reason why I wanted to talk about it was because it's one of those rare books that's actually kind of in-universe, so if if you remember the old uh, was it the Journal of Master Nostural? Do you remember that? Oh, from like, the old uh, West End Games, is that? Uh, I think it came with the Old Republic. It was like in the kind of deluxe edition okay. of that. You got like a you got like a little in 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 universe book, and they even the uh, they even posted a bunch of videos with uh, Lance Henriksen playing Nostural. I think talking about the history of the Jedi Knights and all that. No, and, uh, and Lance Henriksen. Yeah, he, you're he, he kidding did. me. He did. He did all the audio. It's really cool. Oh, it's like a twelve check that out. series. I'll, I'll, I'll send you links. But it's um, it's really cool. It just kind of you know, it, it talks as though it's just like an old Jedi master kind of reciting the history of the the Jedi and the Mandalorians and all that kind of stuff. Well, this this um, on the front lines takes a similar approach in that it's very much in in universe. So from page one, basically, it's uh, it's kind of treating it itself as though it's a historical document. Mm-hmm. So if you if you went out and bought a book about World War Two. That's the kind of vibe you're getting. It's talking about all the minor skirmishes and all the major skirmishes and who the main players were and, uh, you know, trying to kind of fill in a few extra details about kind of characters that maybe we didn't get much of a chance to kind of get to know. So the, the stuff, there are snippets from all the movies, there are snippets from the Clone Wars, and, and um, but, but you know, it'll chat about who the ma- major players were, who the, who the kind of good guys and bad guys were and what their point of view was about the battle and, and what changed as a result of it and things like that. So it's quite interesting. It kind of explores it. In a, in a very kind of historical way and we don't get a lot of that kind of stuff with Star Wars books do we it's, it's generally it's very kind of you know this is what's in the movie and and um, or it or it's a novel you know but this this kind of sits somewhere in the middle and um, there's a ton of artwork in it too so if you're kind of like a fan of uh, of Star Wars books with a lot of pictures this is a this is a good one because it's got like a lot of it's even got things like the the Battle of Jakku that was in the the um, the first Battlefront game that we didn't get to see mm-hmm. you know the reason why those ships are all kind of crashed on Jakku when when uh, Rays about and stuff but um yeah, it's really good fun and tons of images, and it's got a wicked cover by uh, our friend Brian Rude. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it to people if you're really, really into super into kind of battles and and the whole kind of conflict side of things, and especially if you're a clone fan. You know, if you're a clone fan or a trooper fan, this is a good book for you. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I would definitely recommend you kind of go check it out. You, you you'll dig it. I think if you get if you you know you go through a couple of pages, you'll get the measure of what the things like. Um, but um. Yeah, it's good fun. And it's nice if because no matter what kind of period you're into, you know, there's a little bit on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, little little chunks of stuff that you kind of think that people have forgotten about that are, that are from the Clone Wars that obviously had some significance in the bigger scheme and things like that. So it's it's nice if you like joining the dots and uh, exploring like we do, you know, whether why things happened and 
what and went down. With the artwork, you just get a different perspective on things that you're very familiar with. Like, take the Battle of yeah. Hoth, for example. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this really stunning piece of artwork here that features uh, a rebel soldier laying in the snow in the foreground as uh, snowtroopers walk past him. Yeah. Uh, you, you see a toppled ad at in the background but where are the troopers heading as you can clearly see they're going right toward echo base there's yeah. the ion cannon and mm-hmm. you see the hangar for echo base in the distance and uh, fire and smoke coming out of it so they've clearly mm-hmm. overthrown the the rebels on hoth and now the the snow troopers are walking in there and it's just a really cool perspective a different look at the battle that you wouldn't uh typically mm. even think of after just watching the empire strikes back i gotta say the iron cannon looks absolutely ginormous in this picture <laughs> I, that might be a little bit uh out of scale but it, all, who cares you know now i'm talking yeah, yeah. like now i'm it's talking just, like you paul what's know, the matter man. with me look what you're doing i'm me. sorry i've polluted you it's terrible but, uh, i've spoiled you and and you're, I like, I like the, there was a little bit there there are little sections called like tales of valor which is quite fun and they're like little mini mini tales and there's one that's talking about hobby you know the uh, snow speeder pilot and everything kind of who blew up. And um, it's, it's nice cause it's kind of exploring like, you know, where hobby was at and what he was thinking and mm-hmm. you know, what he meant and what being part of the rebellion kind of meant to him and stuff like that. So it's, it's like, it's, I, I like it in that it's very kind of one of those things you can pick up and put down quite a lot. So you're just going to like leave it lying around and just going to dip into it when you feel like it and, and, you know, explore, explore the universe that we know and love, but in a new way. <laughs> You know, so and um, it seems to me as though as though Dan- Daniel's a real like uh, is really into researching things to pieces because you, you don't feel like he puts a foot wrong, which is nice. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, and he certainly has been writing about Star Wars for a long time. So that's Star Wars yeah. on the front lines by Daniel Wallace. Look for the stunning cover art by Brian Rude featuring uh, Death Troopers on Scarif with an AT-AT in the background, X-Wing flying overhead. Very cool artwork in this book and uh, a lot lot of great information. So, well, thanks a lot, Paul. That was a great book review. And uh, I I look forward to grabbing a copy of that for myself. Um, I always need to do more reviews, Jimmy, but we never get to it, do we? Because we we always end up talking about other things. So I just figured that one I would... But yeah. I'm I'm happy that uh, that you were able to to spit that out in this one. And then one last thing before we wrap up Star Wars influences. Speaking of influence, uh, somebody uh, who certainly has had a lot of influence on the Star Wars universe is still out there. He's still doing it. Yep. The headline in Entertainment Weekly reads, George Lucas still offers the Star Wars films suggestions on the Jedi. It comes from a quote uh, Entertainment Weekly got from Kathleen Kennedy. They asked her during Star Wars Celebration in Orlando if George Lucas still offers input into the films and stories being developed. Kathleen Kennedy said, not really, but he'll whisper in my ear every now and then. Usually it's something specific or important to him about Jedi training, things like that. So, mm-hmm. so there, uh, you know, uh, there's a Star Wars influence at work right there. George Lucas still saying things to Kathleen Kennedy about, uh, about, I, I think he's in addressing the integrity of mm. how the Jedi are being treated um, in, in the film. So uh, what do you think about that? Do you think George should uh, continue to uh, try to get involved that way, even if they what? don't use his ideas? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's got to be... I think I, I can't... I don't think any of us can imagine what it must be like to kind of pour your heart and soul into something 
so um so so broad and so so all encompassing as as the Star Wars universe to have created something like that and uh, really just kind of let it soak into you and and fill your every every you know every bit of you and then to let that go and just let other people kind of do whatever they want to do with it. I think letting go of that must have been a very painful process for George. That would be my assumption. You know, that, the, you know, to let go of something that you've taken care of for all that time, it's almost like passing your kid on to somebody that you don't know. Right. And, and, um, I'm sure that like, you know, even if, even if, you know, they, they take, take a lot of care to, uh, to consider every single thing that George was concerned about. I feel as though the, the start of this, this whole new Disney era of Star Wars would have had to be difficult for George, no matter what. And I kind of feel as though the beginning of, of the transition period of, of George being in charge of this thing to not being in charge, I think it was probably quite difficult for George to get through. Or at least that's, that's my assumption from, you know, the kind of brief glimpses we get of him and things like that. It feels like it wasn't an easy transition for him. And now I kind of feel like it's been long enough that George is, has had time to maybe pat himself on the back for, for getting Kathleen involved in the first place, because obviously she's really, really taken a lot of care to, uh, to consider Georgian to make sure that the, the product that's been put out is of, of a high standard. And then it's clear that George really enjoyed Rogue One, even if uh, the Force Awakens maybe contained a few surprises that he w- that maybe he wasn't so keen on, or at least, you know, he felt um, went off at a tangent from what he had in mind. So now I think he's kind of, it feels as though he's relaxing into things and he's happy to make these contributions without it being a huge deal. That's the way it sort of feels to me. And um, I think it's it's nice that, you know, he's going to know, like we do, that Luke is the focus of this next movie. And I'm sure he's spoken to to various dif- different people, whether, you know, officially or un- unofficially, just as friends. And um, so he's going to be aware of the, the importance of Luke in this next chapter and where that might be heading and stuff like that. And so I'm sure that there are concerns that George has. And it's really nice to hear that they care about that. I think it's important that they care about that because even if they're not going to take his literal story, I think that the, the underlying kind of reality of this universe that George has created, I think we shouldn't let go of his opinion on that. I think it's important that we kind of stick to what George thinks is um, – acceptable about when it comes to the big stuff. I think in terms of what characters play in the story and uh, genealogies and who belongs to who and stuff like that, I think that's all very secondary, but I think the world, you know, what it means to be a Jedi, what they can and can't do, um, you know, that all that kind of stuff, I think that they should consider George's opinion and take it seriously. And I think it's nice that it sounds as though he's, he's getting, getting a chance to, to have a say, and, um, <laughs> I don't think and, he. And, I don't think he. He waits for an opening necessarily. No. I rem- here's a story I heard once. Yeah, but you know, there's 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 having an opening and there's having an opening where people are actually paying attention to you, and it feels like people are paying attention. Well, of course, he's George Lucas. I, mm-hmm. I, I heard this story. This goes back a few years, but when they sat down and showed George the first episode, couple episodes of Star Wars Rebels. Mm. They were really excited. You know, oh my God, uh, this is the first Star Wars we've done without George Lucas. What's he going to think about it and everything? And they, they sat him down in the theater and they screened the hour long. It was, you know, the two parter that started it all off. And uh, when the lights came up, 
I think they were expecting George to get up and you know, shake people's hands and say, well, congratulations and everything. But what mm-hmm. happened was George just kind of kicked back and started giving ideas, you know, giving yeah. you know, notes, taking notes, take this down. <laughs> you know, and it, it really, and they were just kind of like shocked. They went, oh my God. Mm-hmm. But they showed respect to Lucas. Yeah. As they should. And as a result, Darth Vader was added to the very end of that first hour-long episode of Rebels. Mm. They they yeah. added Darth Vader in the end. So whenever you see it rerun, you'll see Vader in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the film was released, when the full season was released on home video, it was included mm. as part of that. Uh, when people initially downloaded that episode from iTunes... Uh, it was too late in the game, so they couldn't add Vader. But they, they, uh, so the first time the episodes aired, Vader was absent from those episodes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so they were able to, to get it out there. So when people, uh, noticed their iTunes episodes, they were updated and included those scenes. Yeah. Uh, there was a DVD of the episode released, I think, the weekend the film, the show actually premiered. And that DVD does not have the Vader scenes on it. So it's, it's a, so if you, have, if you have those episodes and they don't include Darth Vader at the very end of them, those first episodes of Rebels, then, mm-hmm. uh, then you actually have the original, the real deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so they, out of respect, they, they put Vader in at the end of that episode. And that was uh, a suggestion from George, from what I heard. And, um, and, uh, I just worry that George will be giving these suggestions and they're going to fall on deaf ears. And then how was he going to react? How will he react to all that? I mean, I've, I've, I've spoken to George a few times now, like over the years, you know, and I remember the, the first time I got a chance to sort of chat to him properly. I remember thinking, um, like, how the heck do you talk to this guy about Star Wars? Like, he created it. You know, like, how is it, you know, how is that even, you know, what can I tell him that he doesn't already know? You know, I remember chatting to him about some artwork that, that Ralph had done um, that George hadn't even seen that was part of his process. You know, Ralph did some sketches before he did the sketches for George, you know. And um, so that was a really strange situation to be in where I'm kind of explaining to George what this Star Wars artwork is because he's never seen it. And, um you know, uh, helping him understand what it is he's looking at, you know. Um, but at the same time, you kind of think, like, the amount of pressure that these people must be under when they deal with George, because as no, as lovely as he is now, nice, you know, as nice as and, and accommodating as he is, you do kind of feel like, well, this is, this is like, you know, somebody who's making a Tolkien movie meeting Tolkien. I mean, <laughs> you can't you can't really kind of make suggestions to him without feeling like a fool. Yes. So so I'm not surprised that they might occasionally think it's it's easier to just avoid asking George's opinion because as soon as they do that, that's just going to carry so much weight. It's a little bit like they were talking about with uh, having Luke Skywalker in The Force Awakens. You know, the second Luke turns up, everything else suddenly becomes secondary because nothing's kind of more important than this guy that was the you know the center of the the original trilogy and uh creatively it's kind of the same deal i think when when george shows up everybody kind of thinks well you know 
whatever that comes out of his mouth has got to carry more weight than any idea that any of us have. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's got to it's got to set things in in a you know a, in in a bit of a wobble. I think when they're being creative, I think because all of a sudden they have to consider everything that George has said. Because it deserves to be considered, you know, whereas when they have a clear deck, just kind of anything goes, doesn't it? So I'm not surprised that they've, you know, um, they maybe stepped back from some of George's ideas when it came to The Force Awakens just to, to give themselves an open playing field. But, you know, I think it's now that now they've kind of got themselves where they want to be and they've built a cast that, that you know, that is what they wanted and uh, and set the set the table up in a way that suits them. I think it's great that George is, has the potential to get much more involved and it would be amazing if he got a lot more involved. I would, that, that would make me happy. Yeah. But I don't, like, I don't we, know. How, we were I don't suggesting know how much, you know, maybe he could join story group and he can go to meetings and sit next to Lee Lin Chi. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, right. yeah he yeah, would I mean, get hazed as the new guy. It's tricky, isn't it? You know, because as you know, as, as great as it is to have a story group, you know, the, the the question I always have is, you know, if if you know anybody you know that's crazy about Star Wars is, you know, and the story group is obviously made up of people that are huge fans of the material and and all that. I think that the problem that you have is that we all have our own unique opinions, and it's great that it's a group because they can kind of come to some kind of common ground where everybody kind of agrees that um this makes sense for the for the project and uh and all that but in the end um you know any of us could kind of wreck stars any of us by having an opinion that's different to george's it could suddenly make it something that's less authentic it can make it something that's not what george would have done and i think that deep down however however anybody feels about any of the specific movies i think we do want it to be real stars and i use the the term kind of loosely but I, th- I think that we want it to be something that George sees as being authentic even if it's not to the letter of what he would have done right. we, we don't want him to, to be sort of unhappy with anything and um, I think it I think it would be great if he was he was playing a really significant part in the development of, of the story going forward even even if he doesn't you know get get last say on everything I'd like him to be much more involved than he has been so far well I think. he was supposed to be a creative consultant yeah, that changed quickly. Uh, yeah, that that changed quickly. I think it changed uh, real fast when they fired Michael Arndt and uh, Kasdan and, and J.J. pounded out the story. And I don't think they really consulted much with George along the way. So I, that's when George decided, well, I'm not, you know, my ideas are just going to shake things up. So I'm going to just step yeah. back. And George was public about that. He said he was going to step mm. back, and he did. Mm-mm. I mean, I, I feel as though... They did the right thing because clearly, Force Awakens is a, is a fun movie, and they, you know, it's like I said before, Jimmy. I, I feel as though Force Awakens isn't necessarily the film we wanted, but it's a film we needed. That reset button that sort of says, right, this is what Star Wars is going forward, and establishes all the stuff we love for for, for the next generation. So I feel like it ticks all those boxes that maybe George wouldn't necessarily sit, sort of feel was necessary to tick because for him it's all one saga, it's all interconnected, and I think maybe. To a certain extent, he's so, you know, immersed in it that he, he's lost his objectivity to an extent about what it's like for a new kid coming in. But then at the same time, you know, you, you go and watch Clone Wars, which was George's creation, and it, it feels like that works gangbusters for kids, and they don't care about whether these characters are old or new. So it's not like he's out, out of touch with kids. But, but um, 
I think it's just it's such a big world that he's created that I think he has a lot of strings that are all kind of tangled. You know, we're potentially going to get things messy. Whereas um, I think I think starting with such a clean deck in the way that Disney did, I think it was probably, you know, um, a better idea because it was all about the characters. It was all about Ray. It was all about um, Finn. And uh, you don't feel like it got caught up in its own kind of universe. You just feel like they got on with the story. And it felt very different tonally, didn't it, to the to the prequel trilogy at least. But Yeah, it did. But, but yeah. hey, you got to you got to take the, the the franchise somewhere, and uh, mm. and so I, I I believe that that it is going somewhere. So uh, mm. you know, just I would just like like you to kind of I don't know. I remember at one time we were talking about wouldn't it be nice to um, get like uh, kind of a book out of George every year or whatever, and I don't think we're ever going to get that. No, but 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 uh, being as we had um, George did those three uh, Willow books. Uh, that with um, Shadow Moon, them. yeah. The the, the uh, who's the guy who wrote the X Men? Chris Claremont. Anyway, Chris, that's the guy. Yep. Um, you know, it, it did did those books. I thought maybe it would be nice to get get books like that out of George and some author. So that would be that would be cool. But I don't think we're going to get that there now with the kind of Disney Bullish universe that's full of characters that George doesn't really no, connect to. No, and I don't see George uh, saying, "Well, mm-hmm. I I got to wait to see if Story Group approves this idea." I don't see Lucas doing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Paul. Well, you know what? You're talking about ticking off all the boxes. I think we ticked yeah, off all the boxes we possibly can for this episode of Influences. We talked about using Star Wars for positivity and a powerful influence in your own life. We talked about developments with the Kenobi film, the young Han Solo film, The Last Jedi, and we talked about George Lucas himself. So mm-hmm. I think we covered a lot of ground here. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out with me and... Uh, and uh, getting caught up on things. Uh, You you certainly always have so many interesting things to say. We love hearing your perspective about (laughs) Star Wars here on Influences, Paul. So thank you so much. Thanks, man. Yeah, you bet. You bet. If somebody wants to uh, get a hold of Paul Bateman, send us an email. Show at Mm rebelforceradio.com, subject line Influences, and get in on the conversation. Better yet, leave us a voicemail, 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. We love to hear from you uh, personally. We'd like to hear your voice on this show. Um, Contact us on Twitter at Rebel Force Radio, at Paul RMQ, and... At Jimmy Mac Radio. I tell you what, I'd like to know what people think about you know how how you think Star Wars now would be different if George was in charge. Do you think it would be better? Do you think it'd be worse? Do you think where, how do you think he would take it in a different direction? Because I have a whole time kind of imagining how much different George would have made it. I don't know. All, all I do know is I'm sure it would be very different from what it is now. And um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'd like to know what people you know imagine that would have been. I think because it's fun to explore, and I'd also like to know what you know how how Star Wars has been a positive influence on people specifically. If you if you feel like it kind of really turned your life around, or if you feel like it was a, a super good thing and you had a you know there's something in your life that wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Star Wars, let us know about it because I'm super into all that. I like to like to hear people's stories. Yes, absolutely. Leave us that email. Leave us a voicemail. Uh, the best way to contact us is just via our official website, rebelforceradio.com. Mm-hmm. That's the place to go for all episodes of Star Wars Influence and the weekly RFR. Uh, news, merchandise, RFR t-shirts, and much more. You can always find us. Uh, every episode of Star Wars Influences gets posted up on jedinews.co.uk. 
So uh, keep your eyes open uh, and always be looking at that website for not only episodes of Star Wars podcasts like Star Wars Influence and Rebel Force Radio, but all the latest breaking news in the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, I don't think there is a more comprehensive source online to find the most important and latest stories than JediNews.co.uk. So, Paul Bateman, thank you again so much for joining us. We'll be back soon with more Star Wars influences. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm Jimmy Mack, and remember... The Force will be with you, always. Always.